0: Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up the bedroom is even better. Whether you're buying a gift for your sugar baby or just for yourself, you can get 50% off at adamandeve.com when you enter the code CANDY at checkout.
1: And that's not all. Adam and Eve will include 10 tantalizing free gifts, a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item all partners can enjoy, Plus, you'll receive six free spicy movies. But the
0: best part is the free shipping.
1: You can get all of this at adamandiev.com using code CANDY at checkout. That's C A N D Y. So, Shelby, what are you getting me? Candy Girl Podcast. Fuck me, Daddy. <laughs> Hey, all you candy sluts and bubble butts. Welcome back to another episode of Candy Girl. I'm your host, Emily. And I'm Shelby. And today we're talking to Stripper Stories podcast. And we're so excited. Would you mind telling us a
0: little bit about your show?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm Chloe and I'm an ex-stripper. Like pre-COVID, I was a dancer. Things have changed a lot recently in the sex industry. So my podcast is very like silly. It has lots of stuff about our customers that we come into contact with. Um, working in the strip club. All my girlfriends, they get on the microphone too. But then we also have some serious stuff. Like we had Dr. Kink last couple of weeks and he's like talking about BDSM and S&M and the history of like loads of shit. So yeah, I mean, we have a varied, a varied spectrum of stuff. Something for everybody who's into anything sex related, sex industry related, sluttery, basically. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, good, it's a good little listen. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm such a fan.
0: Oh, we're so excited to have you. I want to know how you got into stripping. What what was the catalyst for that?
2: Well, I first of all, I was at drama school. Like a lot of people in London, like slugging away, trying to like get a master's at a really stupidly expensive school. And then I was dating some guy and he was like working at this bar with me. He was a piano player. I told this story a million times and people are like, why? What the hell? And like, he was like, why don't you just decide to like... Audition and be a dancer because I see you over the bar. Like, because I was working at the bar while he was playing, guys giving their them your number. No, you their number, right? And I was like, okay, that's a bit strange thing for a guy I'm dating to say. And he was like, why don't you just audition? I was like, you can pay off all your your like master's money, your master's loan. And I was like, that's that's ridiculous. We had an argument maybe three weeks after that we like nearly broke up. And I just thought, fuck it, I'm just gonna go and dance. And I went down to London, auditioned, and the same day I worked. And then I never looked back after that. Eight years later, I'm still doing it. And yeah, it's a funny thing for a guy to, like, push you into that or at least suggest it. But I'm so glad in a way that this asshole did because I've, I've met so many cool people. I've done so many, like, interesting things from it. And it's made me a different person. And and I think that I'm really proud of the choices that I have made from it. But yeah, I didn't decide on my own in a way. Someone else suggested it, which is a bit of a strange thing. But yeah. It's cool, weird.
0: What about stripping do you love?
2: I think it's this social side as well as obviously the money is great and the girls, there's like a camaraderie, I think, with women working in the industry. I it was it was a very dog eat dog, catty world and something that I was really not comfortable in for like a maybe the first year of doing it. And I kind of had to like work into it. So for me it's like it's kind of hardened me up as a person and it's it's shown me different sides of the world. I don't think personally from my background, I wouldn't have, I would have seen. So for me, I'm kind of grateful for that. Like I've met, I've met so many cool girls and like my podcast, for instance, like I wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for my job. So, so yeah, for me, the sex industry and working as a stripper was probably just how it, how it changed me as a person and, and the people that I met through it.
1: That's super cool. Emily, do you have any questions? Any advice for people who maybe want to break into the community, probably after the pandemic?
2: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know whether it's the right time now, even after the pandemic, to break into the sex industry. It's been like we, you know, I've been talking about with other people, other podcasts like porn. People used to pay for porn and now the golden age of porn has gone straight down. And it's the same with dancing. It's like, I think it's taken COVID For it to just wipe the strippers off the the face of the earth, like it's got to that point now, we've all had to do different jobs. So I don't think if it was my suggestion, going into stripping now would be a good idea. I think go into another side of the sex industry like cam work or babe station or something online where there is security and safety. I think that would be my suggestion.
1: Oh my god, the strippers are going extinct. That is so they sad. They literally
2: are. It's literally ridiculous. We were talking about it the other day. It's like tumbleweed. It's going to be like that for for years to come. I'm pretty sure.
0: Would you mind expanding on that? Like, why do you think? I mean, obviously, COVID. You know, people can't go to a strip club and and enjoy the experience. But do you think even after the dust settles for the pandemic, people still won't be wanting to go to strip clubs?
2: Well, I think initially months ago when we were all in lockdown we were saying to ourselves like all our dancers and our group chats like the first month back at the strip club's going to be a really good month and we're all going to be like rolling in money and stuff but like I think now thinking about it because of the rise like the cases are rising lowering rising lowering all the time and it is such a personal job you have to be up and close and personal and like you know giving someone the sex eye from two meters away isn't going to be really like that great so I personally don't think that it would be the sort of job that you could go back to and it'd be the same as before and I don't think people will be going back into the strip club like even the city guys in London where everybody was going down there every weekend I don't think now they've all got families and other people to think about they're not going to be risking it popping down to the club after work it's hard enough to go to the pub let alone the bar, than than to go to like a strip club where you're literally in close contact with another body. So yeah, I don't I genuinely don't think it's gonna work even after COVID. I think people are still gonna be a bit like, put on your mask. Like how can you have a slutty dance with a mask on? It just doesn't work, you know? I don't know how many strip clubs you girls have been to, but like even before I worked in them, like you'd see them like the, the Hustlers movie, for instance. Can you imagine Jennifer Lopez wearing a mask and being like, wow, chicka, wow, wow it just wouldn't happen. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen, to be honest. Unfortunately.
1: Are you familiar with, okay. Are you familiar with the drive through strip club? Right. Okay. Someone mentioned this to me the other day.
2: And I'm like, why the fuck doesn't London have this? It's over here, it's like, we don't know what it is. please explain to me what it is. I would so, love to know
1: <laughs> they did it in Texas, near our hometown of Houston, wow, and we we actually reached out to them. We were very close to getting an interview, but they ended up just being really busy, <laughs> so it's also what? Texas, so it's not like it's not like cases are down, like you were saying up and down, and I was like, Where's the dip? <laughs> so <laughs> really yeah. <laughs> So how does it work? So how do you, how do you drive through? Is it, is it so Okay, you- so basically they found the best slash worst loophole. You can serve food. Obviously, strip clubs are not considered essential businesses. and But because they have restaurants and kitchens in the back, it's similar to like kind of have a drive-through work. So they order the food. And then as the food is getting ready, cars will pull into tents. And there is a barricade and a stripper with a mask. There is a two-song limit. And then they bring you out your food. You leave tips on the pavement and then you're on your way. And you stay in your car? Yeah, you stay in your car the whole time. I wonder if like you get to play the music out of your car or...
2: This literally blew my mind. This is blowing my mind. I
1: remember texting Shelby. I'm like, you need to drive to Houston. It's like a three hour drive for the record. It's in the same state. It's still three hours.
2: Yeah, of course. America's amazingly massive.
1: (laughs) We just need to go experience this. So, and we haven't yet, but they're, (gasps) I think they're open for regular business. I follow their Instagram now.
2: What's the Instagram? I need to get on there right now. Vivid Houston. Vivid Houston. I'm, I'm on, I'm on there. I'm all about supporting any dancers that are still out there dancing, whether it be like men in a car or not. That's so sick. I just... I'm, I'm so into that. I'm absolutely... I'm going to... I mean, I'm not sure if anyone's thought of it here, but I would bring that to London. I'm going to tell the Strippers Collective to get together and put in, like, a slutty car wash or something. That would be so good. Is there actually a Strippers Collective... There is a East London Strippers Collective, which is where I live. And there must be a few more, but I know there's the Berlin Strippers Collective. Loads in Europe, like loads. Less in London, but it's more of like a fashionable thing. It's less less like, it's all about girls supporting girls. I'm just, oh, I found it, found it. I've added them. But yeah, there is a few collectives and it's good to support women when they haven't got a job. So if there's like an opening in a certain club or if someone needs a GoFundMe page for something or to pass around old, and that sounds really gross, old, like, costumes and shoes. If someone's like, oh, I bought these shoes from Pleasers, they're a 100 bucks, but they'd come in the wrong size, just blog them off to another stripper. Like, girls share sh- stuff all the time. So it was more for that, to be honest. I don't know whether it's still even going anymore. It would be interesting to find out, actually. Hopefully it will be, fingers crossed, after the pandemic settles down.
0: Also, earlier you mentioned the movie Strippers. And I am kind of curious about how accurate. Wait, do
1: you mean Hustlers? Yeah, sorry,
0: Hustlers. That's what I meant <laughs> to it. say. That one. Hustlers, yeah. How accurate is that to like an actual strip club and how strippers actually interact with each other on like a work day?
2: I thought it was quite accurate. Like a lot of me and my girlfriends from the club went to the cinema to watch it. And we were like, ooh, ah, ooh. Remember when we did that? Remember when we did that? I mean, the obviously the drugging. Um, I'm never going to say I haven't seen it cause I have seen it. And even in London, it, I mean, I, I, across the world, I'm sure that it's happened at least like selling people stuff in the VIP. Like that's a thing, obviously, cause when you're partying, drugs, drink, partying all hand in hand. So it's hard to get away from, but yeah, I thought it was quite accurate. Obviously it's like really gentrified Hollywoodized version of it, but yeah. I thought it was quite good and quite accurate it's quite funny actually to see to be honest and that's like based on a true story isn't it from when like the financial crash happened and all of the dudes were like one minute spending loads of money in the strip clubs in America and then overnight they were all all these women had like amazing penthouses and all this rent to pay and then it was just completely wiped and uh, they were all struggling so yeah but I mean to be fair if they're If they're gonna be drugging people, I mean they kinda got what they were coming was coming to them kind of thing, I suppose. It's not really cool. I would never condone that. No. Mm -mm. Good. (laughs) (laughs) No drugs. No drugs. No drink no drinking. Drinking is fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I do have a little bit of an in-depth question. And I was watching this video the other day about modeling and how When your profession requires you to look a certain way and to always have this image of being beautiful, sometimes it can like mess with your psyche. And obviously stripping is probably on a smaller scale because if you're a model and everybody sees you all the time, you always have to look a certain way. But when your job is based on your image, I'm sure that there are things like a distrust of men that develops and like other issues. Mm -hmm. Are these things that you've ever had to experience in your career? Good question.
2: Very good question. I think, yes, I would like to say that I haven't been tarnished at all by the industry and that I'm still this like doe eyed little Bambi running around thinking that all penises are good. But that is not the case. And I think I think any woman who's who's basically speed dating at a rate of knots every single night is going to encounter more men obviously than a normal girl just dating on Tinder or Hinge, right? So you're gonna you're gonna dip into that kind of psyche whenever you're dating a normal person in everyday life. You're like, okay, that guy I met at the strip club last week, he was like that. So this guy must be like that. You end up connecting the dots. And that's not necessarily the right way to live your life. You can't tarnish everyone with the same brush, right? Same with looks and makeup. Like when I was younger, I think when I was dancing, I was a baby stripper, I felt like I had to go out with a full face of makeup on. I had to have hair extensions, fake eyelashes. I had my boobs done, for instance. And I did all of that more t- because I was exposed to it. It became more normal to me, I would say. You know, a boob job. People think about having a boob job for years before they have one. And because I had so much money, I just had one one day. I was like, oh, yeah, now I fancy a boob job. Now, that's that's not necessarily a normal like, sane thing to do. I'm very glad I did it because I'm much more confident now, personally, for me. But, um, you know, the, the hair extensions and the eyelashes, it's just unnecessary. I've learnt to love my body as I'm older now. And I think my boyfriend never never sees me in makeup anymore. He's like, when are you going to wear makeup for me again? And I'm like, never. It ruins my skin, you know, unless I'm working or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think it does really affect women working in the sex industry. I think like it does with influencers, for instance, you know, and seeing all those other lovely, beautiful women who have probably edited themselves. I think dancers do do that in a way by having body modifications and sticking hair on and nails and things like that. So, yeah, I think it definitely has affected me. But as I've got older, I've come to like rationalize it and be a bit more sane and old about it than just be willy-nilly young girl just like headlights you know they're starry-eyed like I'm gonna get five boob jobs you know it's not it's not how it was for me but yeah it has affected me like with men as well like with dating it did affect me at a younger age I would say yeah and not in a good way
0: if it makes you feel any better most men are kind of the worst So.
2: I feel you. I feel you. I'm like, oh, this is why I have my dildos. Exactly. I was like, exactly. it's why the rabbit is alive in my life. <laughs> yeah. And my and my pussy cat. I'm just like, cat, don't need a boyfriend. I've just got one now. But. Good. Congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. We'll see how long it. Lives. No, I'm kidding. I'm not putting a downer on it before it's even started. But yeah, I think, you know, animals, animals and dildos that's how that's the that's the preach preachy preach that I'm giving
1: I mean that that's how I would live my life if I ever started getting treated poorly never settle boyfriends are replaceable absolutely very easily do yes you?
2: yes absolutely girls I feel you. and friends are not so that's the thing like keeping friends from the from the sex industry girls it's hard but if you can do it do it you know, because they, they've seen you at your worst. They've seen you at your drunkest, your poorest, your richest. They've seen you go through loads of different things. And men, they, they just, they, they're they the ones that like get up and run when something gets a bit difficult sometimes. Or But those women, I mean, like you girlfriends, you must think the same thing. Like they stay. So I've learned that as well from working in the clubs that like men do come and go, but women, hopefully, if they're good ones, they stick around, which is great.
1: Yeah, moving to a new city, my biggest emphasis is just on making female friends. I have I I do engineering. I have male friends. Amazing. They're fun. But I really need just female companionship. I need somebody who's gonna like call me out on my shit. Or well I guess my male friends do, but just not in the same way. And I wouldn't bring up the same things necessarily.
2: You have definitely have different talking points, don't you? I mean, w- when you're talking with your male friends than when you're female. And that's just how it is. I mean, it's, unless you've got your like gay, your gay guy friends, then they kind of they can transition between two things because they obviously have their they're very emotional. They're very emotionally connected. Whereas straight men, I find I find it very difficult to find um, straight men who you can just Blur out all your deepest, darkest, sluttiest secrets without them judging you slightly. I mean, if there's anyone out there that, that can just tell me to shut the fuck up, then do because I might be completely wrong, but I'm yet to find them. So, I mean, if there's someone near me,
1: yeah. And another another struggle that I've been having is whenever I am friendly towards like some men. Uh, Well, I'm friendly to everybody, if I'm being honest, but certain people kind of take it wrong and kind of take it as flirting. And then it makes me uncomfortable and this keeps happening. And it's so awkward because obviously when I go up to people, I don't want to say, oh, I have a boyfriend, back off. It honestly shouldn't matter if I have a boyfriend or not. It feels weird that as soon as I declare myself to somebody else's territory, that's when they start to ease off. Anyways, that's just a mini side rant. (laughs) Things are
2: going okay Yeah, that's good. I mean, I completely agree with you. Like, I don't know why it matters what genitalia we have, whether we can have female or male friends. That, that for me, just blows my mind. And, like, 2020 we're in now, I'm like, come on. It's not like when we're back in the 1800s and seeing an ankle was, like, the most ridiculous thing a man had ever seen. And we talk about dicks and pussy all the time. It should be completely normalized to have... Friends of of a different sex, um, and be able to be friendly with them and cuddly, and like you would be with your girlfriends with a dude friend, and it not be anything more. You know, I mean, hopefully that will happen sometime in the next thousand years. We'll all understand our genitalia, and it doesn't really matter. But until that time, we're going to (laughs) struggle. I think.
1: Yeah, like I love the idea of that, but I don't think many of my straight guy friends here would let me cuddle them. I think they'd be That's weird. Sad. Again, I'm also very much in engineering.
2: Right. Yeah. So, so the straight guy, straight guy, straight guys.
1: The gamers. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. That's cool. I like that, though. The nerds. I like it. Yeah, Is that what you they're... could call them? The nerdy people? That's what we'd call I, them here.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> there's just like a lot of jokes around. I guess that subgroup. So.
2: There's nothing wrong with that.
1: So we talked to Callie Mack in our
0: last episode about dating as a sex worker, and she has done some major porn production. So sometimes people in dating apps would recognize her from that and then they would kind of fetishize her or she wouldn't know when to tell them that she was a sex worker. Have you kind of had a similar experience with dating? Like you don't know when to tell them that you strip for a living?
2: Yeah. Um, (sighs) I have quite a few times, but it was mostly back in the baby stripper days when I just started and I wasn't really sure what to say. I think a lot of women in the sex industry, whether they're an escort, whether they're a stripper, whether they're a cam girl, anything, they they do find it hard to tell the opposite sex again. I don't know why that this is what they do because it's, it's given a stigma, right? And I don't think the women themselves give it the stigma. It's the other people that do. So it's difficult to tell those other people who have clearly a preconceived notion as to what it is to be a stripper. Like you must be easy. You must be the sort of girl that, Oh my God, he's dating a stripper. She must be a total slut. Like, no, it's a job. Like, so it is difficult. Um, but as I, my baby stripper life grew into a more adolescent stripper life, I like, you know, I kind of rebelled like any normal adolescent would and was like, no, I'm going to tell everyone. I don't know. I'm just really proud of what I do. And now I'm just like, it is what it is. If someone at a party asks me, I say, you know, I'll tell them I've got a podcast on stripper stories and you can listen to my first experience of anal. Go and have a listen. Like everyone's done it. So let's just talk about it and normalize it. And then hopefully in the future, when the next girl says to their boyfriend, oh, you know, I want to try anal. He doesn't go, Ooh, or he doesn't go, yeah, there's just no need for it. Um, So I think, I think, yeah, it's back to the question. Like I'm I'm literally like talking past the question. Sorry. I think it's difficult, but I do do think it's a really good test to see if the person is for you, because if you can tell them your deepest, darkest, anything, and if it's something that is so a, a job that is got all this stigma around it and you can tell a person that you're into and they don't see you as what the stereotypical person would, that's a great thing. So my advice to any woman out there is just to just be honest and and tell them the truth because I mean at the end of the day if they if they don't like you for it then you've lost you've lost nothing anyway have you so that that's kind of how I see it now
0: yeah you mentioned just a minute ago that your podcast gives you an opportunity to normalize all of these things that everybody already does, but seems to be taboo, which is a lot like what we're trying to do at Candy Girl is normalize sex work, which is something, I mean, it's the oldest profession. We've, we know what sex work is. So I want to know a little bit about your experience doing a stripper podcast, like um, the kinds of people that you've met, the things that you've learned. I feel like that's so
2: interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I have like met quite a few girls working while on cam uh, specifically. And I've, you know, when I first started my podcast, I'd like email them all like, listen to this little baby podcast. I know you'll like it. And then I started getting feedback from these women who were I didn't know. um, And who were like, would you like me on your podcast? I'd love to talk about this. I'd love to talk about that. I started initially with my housemate, who is I call a muggle of the of the world. Like she's kind of dipping her toe in the sex industry like waters she has a, a sugar daddy but she also has a day job so she is now gone back to work so she's got a lot less time to talk about slutty sh- stuff with me so I think me now being on my own and doing it and I've actually brought on a couple of my customers onto the show I'm hoping to like drag on my boyfriend I'm gonna drag on anyone around me that has an opinion that could normalize anything to do with sex, sex work I think is a positive thing and like You know, talking about the Bella Thorne thing, we were talking about that, weren't we, like, via email. You know, all these things popping up in the media is making the sex industry look so whack, like, still. It's, like, out of control and how can these people, you know. And I just think for the real people actually living in it and actually working through it, it's just that all they want to do is just get their head down and do a job and that's it. And I think it's just nice to be able to talk about, like, other things too. Like I said, first experience of anal, first experience dating as a stripper how to get a sugar daddy what to do when you get one like these things that women probably might not want to speak to their normal muggle friends about they can listen to the podcast or they can dm me which actually a lot of women have started doing i've got an inbox full of women like hi you don't know me but i you know recently signed up to sugar daddy.com can you help me i'm like great absolutely give like lay it on me and i'll help like in any way you know like so that for me has been hugely positive, I think, with the with the podcast.
0: You talk a lot about girl power and that you're really invested in, in girl power. Do you think this gives you an opportunity to help more women?
2: Absolutely. Well, I would hope so. That's kind of the part of the reason why I started the podcast in the first place. Not just to like word vomit all of my like filthy, filthy secrets, but it was to it was actually to make more friends. Like I think. I'm one of those women who like I keep myself to myself I have the same type of friends and a lot of them are muggle-esque people so for me starting this podcast was more about reaching out to others who who actually do want to talk about the normalizing sex work normalizing the just average anal experience and just having a good old chat about it and like even with the Dr. Kink that I spoke about He's a psychologist, but he's not particularly a sex psychologist. I just dragged that all out of him. I was like, let's talk about, you know, the the history of hysteria, which was a massive thing in the 1800s. Things like that I, f- I find fascinating. So, yeah, yes, for me, that w- that was like, that is, it's about like having women listen to the podcast and feeling like it's okay to talk about these more difficult subjects. And I think that's that's probably the girl power behind it for me.
1: Uh, we love seeing women support women
2: for real
1: kind of going off on kind of the opposite brand but also kind of the same brand so I kind of wanted to ask about how girl power and how you know cattiness and competitiveness can kind of butt heads at times front you're saying it seems very supportive but I was in a sorority and I know sometimes women are the best but they also can be the worst and hit you right where it hurts,
2: because they know you the best. So they're like, I... "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it." I mean, at least men—they're they're a completely different species. So if they're going to hurt you, it's going to be in a different facet than if a woman does, right? Especially if you're in a sorority, like you said. So yeah, I yeah, I feel you, like it's a different thing in the, in the club too. You know, you're w- working around women. It's not working in an office environment where you have dudes at the water cooler all talking about really macho things. Women always talk about their boyfriends, their girly things, the things that other women can, you know, relate to. So if, if they're going to hurt you or stab you in the back, which obviously it does happen because not everybody's nice. They're going to know your deepest, darkest secrets and know how to do it. Right. A man can just call you a name or like I don't know. They step away from it a little bit. So yeah, the cattiness in the strip club—it it just happens like anywhere. I think, like like you said in your soror- in your sorority, did you have a lot of uh, bitch fights? <laughs> yeah. Did you? Yeah. <gasps> Overall,
1: they were really supportive, and I love I love my sorority sisters. That always sounds really like fucking cheesy to say. So
2: American from over here, like I we know. don't have sororities here, so it's like oh, I feel like I'm in
1: a movie. <laughs> that's how it feels yeah I think I think the difference is when men do it I could just like go off and be like who the fuck do you think you are and just really dismiss it but whenever I would get very personally attacked I'd be like something's wrong with me I can't even get mad they got me right where I'm most vulnerable yeah you are a heartless bitch heartless
2: you know it's almost deeper when it's a woman doing it to you my
1: big thing was I was the flakiest of the friend group and right. it's not something I was proud of but I was also the only one of my sororities studying electrical and computer engineering and I was constantly busy so everybody would be going out and by the time I got back I was just so tired I like couldn't go out or do anything
2: yeah you were like the least sociable I guess so they were always a bit like you were the, you were the black sheep a little bit yeah there's nothing wrong with that though
1: yeah but I mean, I think overall, I got a really good experience. I joined specifically because I needed more female friends. Yeah. So because I missed the female companionship, because I remember going into my first year, I was like, oh, well, I'm in this major because engineering is for girls who don't fuck with other girls. And that could not be any less true. (laughs) Holy fuck. I was like, these men can be the worst. If I get told one more sexist thing, I'm dropping. I can't do this anymore. It was ridiculous. It's 2020. For some reason, growing up in engineering, I find it so fascinating that more of the sexism comes from younger men than older men. I always thought it would be reversed, but I guess the difference is younger men. It's almost as if they see me as I took their spot or I took their friend's spot. Whereas with older men, they're like, holy fuck, we need diversity. We can't keep coming up with the ideas for like the entire world if we don't have a representative from half the world population.
2: I back that. 100%. So there's
1: so there's so many like tech products specifically that you can go through and you can just tell it's a mostly male engineering team. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to put into words, but it's it's so obvious and they don't realize that it is so
2: I think I think with any any industry having a male female like in any industry is only going to make things better I mean and I think that like you said it was really interesting what you just said about older men not doing like the cat calling, not doing all of, like the sexism it's like I said about being the baby stripper you grow out of it don't you I think as you're as you're an older man it's like I think by the time, like, you know, as women as well, we become, I think, less insecure about our bodies or insecure about telling people just how we are and what we are, right? So as we get older, that's how we kind of mature. I think with men, it's a similar thing. You know, we're not so different, I don't think. So yeah, that's really important.
1: To some people, it might seem like a stretch. There are parallels between the tech industry and the sex industry, and the sense that at the very top, it's male-dominated. Like a lot of the owners, a lot of the people who run, a lot of porn sites, it's unfortunately all men, <laughs> and uh, it just frustrates me, but then at the I guess the difference is i I don't even know what I'm trying to put them towards. Also, it seems like there's Lacroix in sex dungeons and tech offices. And I just, I love asking about that. That's always what I ask dominatrixes. There's a 50-50 chance. Yeah, it all started when somebody offhandedly mentioned, yo, I was drinking LaCroix. And I guess in my head, before I did this podcast, I had this idea of sex dungeons, like basements. You have to go downstairs. There's like a bouncer, all that. And I didn't realize that it was just houses that have been repurposed and like, yeah. turned into dungeons so yes. there are kitchens
2: yeah literally there's kitchens there's lounges there's bedrooms like it's, it's just exactly the same in london dungeons aren't dungeons anyone would think like you know the 50 shades of gray novel it's like you go into this red room of pain like that's just not how it is and like that's another thing i will say about the 50 shades of gray novel that it absolutely changed the way dominatrixes work like over the over London. Like I'm not sure about in the US because obviously I've never worked there, but it it changed the customer base as well. It was like middle-aged couples trying to spice up their love life using a flogger or like a little bit of candle wax. And they were all like, what's happening to our industry? Like there's some things that come out like like the Bella Thorne thing, like Hustlers, like Fifty Shades of Grey. Like I spoke to this, uh, these interesting dudes who do a podcast in New Jersey and they're both sex writers. They do like sex literature. And they were saying how Fifty Shades of Grey affected their market and their jobs as well. Because, you know, it, instead of, you know, actually talking about real flogging and real like, sub sub domination s&m actual legitimate things they started having to talk about you know a the bit more romanticized side of being a dominatrix which I, i'm not sure is very helpful it's like well you know how people don't pay for porn anymore because you know there's so much amateur porn out there whereas before they would be they would be able to like film porn in like the hidden hills somewhere and they'd be able to like make it this high, big budget thing, you know? And now it's completely changed and changed the industry. I think, yeah, moving on from the double Matrix dungeon side of things, like a lot of the dungeons have closed down. I think after COVID, I don't know if there'll be any left. Unfortunately, sadly, I love popping into a dungeon. Sad.
1: Mistress Nikki, if you're listening to this, I <laughs> sent you an email. Please reply to me. So... <laughs> Does the glamorization of sex work do more good or harm, in your opinion?
2: That's a hard question. I think...
1: It can also just be a discussion. Yeah,
2: I I think... Yeah, perfect. I think that um, if it's done in the right way, it can be a really positive thing. I think it's such a... Now it's very, like, gentrified the sex industry, I think, with all the Hollywood films and things like that. And it's making more muggles than ever wanting to, like, dip their toes in and have a little, you know, see what it's like. Bring your friend to work day. Let's go to the strip club. It's strange, right? So it can be a positive thing, though, however, and it can normalize sex work and people who do sex work and showing them as real people who just do a job. I think that's that's the best way to showcase it. However, if there's people bad mouthing or they've had bad experiences with sex workers or they have done bad things online, scamming people out of money, things like that, then that can only do harmful things. So I think it's like half and half. It really depends on how it's how it's like promoted, I think, and how it's received.
0: Do you feel like there's a danger in people who are inexperienced in BDSM or the sex industry writing or producing content that's supposed to be about the sex industry, but there's like a clear, like you said earlier, with Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, that's not really how BDSM works.
2: I th- I think people have a responsibility. If they're going to write about sex or they're going to shoot porn or if they're going to be uh, do a podcast on sex or they're going to do anything that that basically reaches out and talks about it to a wider audience I think they have a responsibility to research what they're doing speak to real sex workers if that's not what they do as a job and do it in the most justified and honorable if that's the right word just humble nice way I mean not everybody will work like that obviously because we're humans we make mistakes and you know I mean I think the clever people if they want to make good content if they want to make good literature or good podcasts they would want it to be authentic right so I think personally for me if I was going to do something and I wasn't in the industry so for instance if I wanted to like I don't know Economics. I was like, oh my God, who do I ask? Oh, Emily. I'll ask Emily. Or if I'm going to, you know, I want to learn about doing anything like podcast wise, like you guys have been doing it much longer than me, I'll ask you. You know, it's, I'm not going to just figure it out and do it wrong and, 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 you know, make it just a fumbly, fumbly mess. I would, I'd rather ask for help. You know, that I think that's, that's the thing I think with, with what you just said completely. I think it's good to reach out to others and figure out. And learn from them. I think that's really important.
0: What's your personal definition of sex work?
2: Ooh. I think anyone who works and makes a living using their body or parts of themselves in a public or, I don't know, someone who, who uses their body or themselves to an, an, in a sexual manner to earn a living, I guess. I think that would be probably my definition of sex work. I think there's so many facets of it. And using it's even using your brain. Like, it, it doesn't have to be your body. Um, that's what people kind of kind of get wrong, I think, about, you know, even just being an escort. Some, some of them are walkers, for instance. They're still classed as escorts, but they don't have sex for money. They'll go and do the girlfriend experience. That is completely using your mind and like manipulating the situation and being sexual and, and making the other person feel comfortable. You know, same with BDSM or being a dominatrix. You know, some of them don't ever get naked, don't ever get touched. That's completely using your sexual aura, like your brain. You know, so I think it's, it's, it's that, it's exactly what that is. You know? So it's, it's just using yourself and your, your, your wits to, to make a living in, in a sexual manner.
0: Well, I know you said you only have 45 minutes. To yes. this Yes, yeah, I do. Sorry. Oh, no, you're good. I, I don't want to keep you any longer. Emily, do you have any last minute questions you want to ask before we go?
1: Which one of the episodes that you've done has been one of the most exciting ones that you've recorded?
2: That is a good question. I think it's going to be. I mean, the, the initial couple of episodes were a lot about the funny customer stories, like the strange, strange chair fucker and the munter and all of these terms I was like whoa these people have real big time kinks but for me my best and most I think like close to my heart episode was probably episode eight I think Hans Solo the sugar slut (laughs) that talks about my personal experience being a sugar baby and my last experience being a sugar baby with a guy I was kind of connected to for about four years and how that kind of started and like how it ended which was like the most kind of interesting and strange thing for me to discuss on a microphone because I'd never really spoken about it before so yeah for me episode eight have a listen to it if you want to yeah it's it's actually got some good as, as much as it's like a just a very very well told story it's also got some like good tips and tricks in there if you if anybody ever wanted to strike up a relationship and be a sugar baby or sugar daddy so yeah
0: We'll link it in the description of this episode. So if you're listening and you want to find it. So Chloe, how can people find your podcast? Where is it?
2: Okay, we are basically anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We have an Instagram, which is Stripper Stories Podcast. And there's a little link in the bio there. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, come and check it out.
0: And you can find us at candygirlpodcast.com. We just got stickers. So buy some of our stickers or subscribe to our Patreon and we'll send you a sticker. And you can find us on Instagram, Candy Girl Podcast or Twitter at Candy Girl Pod. Chloe, thank you so much for doing this interview with us. I had such a good time. Thank you
2: so much, Emily and Shelby. I really appreciate it. I'm such a fan. So yeah, I hopefully I'll see you girls again on my podcast. I would love to have you both.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Keep an eye out for us on Stripper Stories podcast. We're going to be there.
2: Amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Sweet daddy. <laughs>